Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. It is so good to be with all of you here today. It's good to be with those who are here with us in person. It's also good to be with all of you who are there online watching us, maybe from your couch, those who are watching us from the television, maybe a coffee cup in your hand. Uh, Whether you're here or you're there, we consider all of you our Bible Center family. We're so thankful for each one of you. If you're at home and you're just wondering, what does it feel like nowadays to come to church? So we've got an auditorium designed for about a thousand people. And on average, we're getting between 50 and maybe 125 people for one of our services. So when it comes to safety, you've probably got, in some spots, 25 to 30 space of social distancing. At the end of our service, everybody heads right outside. Uh, Nobody stays in here and they hang out outside, not inside the building. So we're going out of our way to make it safe. So if you're considering coming back, we're ready to welcome you as safely as possible. If you're happy staying where you are, we are happy to love you right where you are and we're thankful for you as well. Today, I wanna start our sermon by asking you some questions. What would you say is your one thing? What would you say is your one thing, that thing that drives all the other things that you do in your life, the thing that kind of sets all of your priorities? What is the one thing that gets you up in the morning, that puts you a smile on your face? Maybe it's the thing that causes you to spend your resources on. You give your time to it. You give your energy to it. What is your one thing? Today, we're going to be talking about that one thing and what Jesus thinks about your one thing. It's really easy for us to put our one thing in the category of a person or a relationship, a career, a bank account, living in a certain place, or living in a certain size home, or driving a certain car. Today, I want us to look at our one thing in light of Jesus's one thing and ask the question, how are we doing? Is there anything we need to consider or possibly change? So our topic today should impact the concept of your one thing. I'd like to start by talking through a story from the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter four, verse 19, there's these two guys sitting on the shore. These guys' names are Peter and Andrew, and they're fishermen. What is their one thing? Well, it's probably catching fish and cooking fish, eating fish, and selling fish just to make a living and to take care and provide for their families. Well, all of a sudden, they come face to face with Jesus. Jesus shows up, and they probably knew who he was, but they didn't know Jesus personally. And Jesus looks at him and says this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's one sentence, but there's so much in that one sentence. He calls them and challenges them to put their nets down and start following him. He tells them out loud, I'm going to make you something different. You used to fish for fish, but when you follow me, you're going to start fishing for men. So this is what happens to those two disciples. Peter and Andrew take their nets, they look up at Jesus, listen to those words, and they put their nets down. Their one thing, they put down and they follow Jesus. And Jesus takes them through this process of being changed and transformed into people who will now fish for men. Their entire one thing completely changed in this interaction with Jesus. So today our topic is discipleship. If I were to summarize it as simply as possible, discipleship means to follow Jesus, to then be transformed by Jesus, often through others, and then to live like, life like Jesus by being a disciple who makes more disciples. 
At one point, I was hanging out in a room with a bunch of our Bible Center leaders, and I asked the question, how many of you have been personally discipled? Not one of them raised their hand. And I'll be honest, I mean, that kind of broke my heart because I would believe, I believe, I suggest, I would even argue that Jesus has set up personal discipleship as the primary way that he's gonna change you and the way that he's gonna change the world. There's no like plan B. Like if personal discipleship doesn't work, he's not gonna send in the backup quarterback. Like personal discipleship is the way that Jesus will change the world. If this doesn't work, it doesn't work. The church's method for reaching a neighborhood, a town, a city, and all the nations is through personal discipleship. The church was made and designed by God to be a discipleship-making factory, to be producing disciples who follow Jesus, producing disciples who make more disciples. The church is a place where the seeds of the gospel are spread, they take root, they grow, and then they multiply. Every Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, every Christian was made and designed by God to be a disciple and to make more disciples. It's actually in your spiritual DNA, whether you feel like you can do it or you feel like you can't do it, whether that excites you or it scares you to death. Jesus has designed you to be a disciple who makes disciples. It's part of who you now are. So that is our topic today, discipleship. What we're gonna discuss is the purpose of discipleship, the process of discipleship, then a couple points of application. And my prayer is that you and I, much like Peter and Andrew, would reconsider our one thing. Maybe it's time for you and I to take everything else and to set it down and to follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, and to become a disciple who makes more disciples. Perhaps it's time that that becomes our one thing. So let's start with the purpose of discipleship. And with the topic of the purpose of discipleship, it just makes sense to start where Jesus left us as he ascended back to the Father. In the Great Commission, the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus gives us his last words. Oftentimes, your final words are the words that you want to leave with them to remember. It should be a moment of impact, and I believe that's exactly the case here. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, it says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, or in light of that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. A couple of things I want you to notice about these last words of Jesus. As Jesus is standing there, he's not talking to 12 people. He's talking to a crowd of disciples. There's a ton of disciples in front of him, maybe up to 500. He doesn't say you in the back, or he doesn't say you two who were with me all the time, or the weird group over there. Jesus says, make disciples to all of them. Jesus calls all of them to make disciples. So regardless of your personality, because I think some people think, well, if I'm an extrovert, then I will share the gospel and make disciples. If I'm someone who has a gifting of sharing the gospel, then I will make disciples. Jesus says to everyone, every one of his followers, you are now called to make disciples. And when the disciples heard these words, they would have recognized these words as exactly the way that Jesus lived. 
So they watched Jesus live this way. And then when they heard these words, they would have thought, that's exactly what I saw Jesus do while he spent his time here on earth. He made disciples who would make more disciples. So when we talk about personal discipleship, it's not like a new thing. It's not like the latest fad. It's the first thing. It's an ancient thing. It's the, also the forever thing. This is the way that the church grows. This is the way individuals in the church grows. And this is the way that churches become more and more churches. The nations are reached through this thing. So there's a couple of things I want you to note about the command. The command within these verses is to make disciples. Oftentimes I've been in circles where I'll read these verses and I'll say, which word do you think is the command? And typically the response is the word go. Because he says, therefore go. So in English, it sounds like the command is the word go. But in the Greek, there's only one verb. There's only one word that's in the imperative or command sense, and that's the word make disciples. So in all these words, there's one verb. That's the command is the clear command, make disciples. A couple things about this command. Number one, this is a lifelong, all-encompassing command. It's a lifelong, all-encompassing command. What I mean by that is when you look at the word go, it's actually a participle. And when you translate that word, it could be translated this way, as you are going, or while you're going, or wherever it is that you go, make disciples. So whether you're heading to work to be a doctor, whether you're heading to work to be an accountant, while you're staying home, being a mom, or a dad, or being a grandparent, or being retired, we are called to make disciples. So no matter where you are, what you're doing, you're called to make disciples. Also, this is an every person in mind command. This is an every person in mind command. What do I mean by that? When we're told how to make disciples, Jesus gives us two ways. One, by baptizing, and then by teaching. For those who are not following Jesus, for those who don't know Jesus, we're called to teach them how to follow Jesus and baptize them. For those who know Jesus, we're called to teach them to do everything that Jesus commanded. So that encompasses every single person in your life. Everyone you know falls into one of those two categories. Either they need to come to know Jesus, or they need to grow in Jesus until they're doing all that Jesus has commanded. So every single person in your life can be a part of you fulfilling the great commandment, the great commission of making disciples. This is also an in-Jesus command. It's an in-Jesus command. He doesn't say, go make disciples, good luck, see you in heaven. He doesn't say it that way. He says, all authority has been given to me. So we make disciples under his authority, knowing he's in charge. He also says, as you make disciples, I will be with you always, forever. So we make disciples under his authority, in his power, and with his presence, every step of the way. It's an in-Jesus command under his authority with his presence. And finally, it's a command with an objective. So he says, make disciples of all nations. We don't stop making disciples until everyone is heard. This is a concept of saturating the world with the gospel. So the purpose of discipleship can probably be summarized this way. We are disciples who make more disciples. We are followers of Jesus who make more followers of Jesus. Discipleship is more than a classroom. It's more than just head knowledge. 
Discipleship is more than an assembly line where we put together perfect people who act perfectly. Discipleship is more than just checking a box that you attended all the right meetings and came to church every Sunday. Discipleship is more like a river of growth, a river of spiritual growth that comes at you and into your lives and then fills you, runs around you into the lives of others. So spiritual growth and making discipleships is a process where you're built into and then you build in to other people. Let's talk about the process of discipleship. When it comes to the process, we're going to go back to Matthew 4.19. If you remember those words, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So the first step in the process is responding to Jesus's invitation. Maybe you're sitting home today and you're not sure where you stand with Jesus. You're not sure if you could be called a follower of Jesus. I want you to know in the same way he looked at Peter and Andrew and said, follow me, he says that to all people. There are times when Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and over and just and weary and burned out. Come, repent and believe. Jesus gives that invitation to all people. So if you're ready, your next step is to follow Jesus. As Jesus lived life and called people to follow him, he did it in two different environments. He did it in a public setting, but he also did it in a private setting. You would see Jesus interacting with the crowds, telling parables, doing miracles. So in this public setting, he was doing like a form of corporate discipleship. But that wasn't the only setting. Jesus also spent a ton of time with people in small environments. He had the 12 disciples. He had the three, Peter, James, and John, who just kind of lived in his more intimate circle where in the most significant moments, they seemed to always be there to witness what Jesus went through and to pray with him through those moments. So as you decide to follow Jesus, if you're a Christian here today, I want you to know because of what we learned in Matthew 28, Jesus says he is always there with you. You are inside of that most intimate circle with Jesus. He knows everything about you and he invites you to know everything about him. He is personally walking through life with you. So to reflect Jesus's ministry, to reflect this process of discipleship, it means that there's not only a public environment where we grow, but there's also a personal environment where we grow and we're challenged. There's a personal element where we connect deeply with others in this discipleship process. For a lot of years, I was a full-time personal trainer. I still do personal training. Now, everyone knows that it's easier in life to be healthy and fit. But we also know how hard it is to do it. So even though you know what you're supposed to do, without personal accountability, without help, without coaching, with someone encouraging you, oftentimes you just don't get it done. Jesus designed us that way. So it makes sense that in this process of becoming more like him, they would call people into our lives to be personally engaged with us, to grow us, to change us, to encourage us, to coach us, to challenge us. The personal part of discipleship is a key component of growing in Christ and being the disciple that he's called us to be. So Jesus modeled the importance of personal, and we want to follow his lead. So the first thing we do in his process is we follow him. The second thing is we recognize that we're going to be transformed. Transformation is a huge piece of this process. Jesus looks at these two guys and says, I will make you something else. I will make you something else. You are not who or what you will ultimately become. So to follow Jesus means that you begin this process of being transformed 
from the inside out. Jesus doesn't just change our behaviors. He also changes our inward desires, our motivations, our intentions. Everything about us is transformed and changed. To follow Jesus means that change is always in your future. Now, if you're like the average person, knowing that there's always going to be change coming around the corner, some of you hate that. It's hard to always be changing. It's so much easier just to find a rhythm that we live in and just continue in that rhythm. But to follow Jesus means there's always change. Christianity is never described as a destination. Christianity is often described as a race to be run. In a race, there are hills, there are valleys, there are potholes, and there are crowds. Some crowds cheer you on. Some crowds sometimes boo you. There's pace. There's technique. There's movement. There's progress. There's changes of sceneries in this race. And in this race, there's moments of excitement and moments of exhaustion. There's exhilaration, there's frustration, and there's joy. Following Jesus is the starting line, not the finish line. To follow Jesus is the beginning of an amazing journey of being transformed. But as we talk about this process of transformation, I want to be honest with you. A couple of things I want you just to think about and to know. The process of transformation is often messy. It's messy, not because of Jesus, but because of you and me. It's messy. It's not simple. It's not consistent. I might feel like I'm cruising spiritually, and then I take a nosedive the next day. It can kind of feel like you're stuck in middle school. You're not quite a child anymore, but you're also just not a spiritual adult. You just feel like you're stuck in this awkward spiritual stage. There's also going to be spiritual and moral failures along the way. No one is transformed perfectly completely. And each person, you and me, have a unique story about who we are and how God's brought us to this point in our life. And we also have a unique set of sins and brokenness in our life that we both struggle with. So it's going to look different for each person. And this race is never finished until we see Jesus face to face, which is why we long for his return, because this is a messy, hard process but it's the most beautiful thing you will ever be a part of. So we have an invitation, a challenge. We have this process of transformation. And finally, we have this product. Jesus seeks to develop us and change us into something different. There's a product, there's a result. And to these two fishermen, he tells them, no longer will you be fishing for fish, but you'll be fishing for men. The product is we will be disciples who make more disciples. Probably not many of you are fishermen, so talking about fish doesn't help. So what he describes us as is as disciples who will make more disciples. That's who he has called us to be. Now, this concept of disciples making disciples takes place on a macro level, and it takes place on a micro level. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, there's a verse where it says, and this is Jesus talking about the macro plan. He's talking to the disciples and says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, my disciples who make disciples in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. So on this macro global plan, Jesus builds into people by sending his Holy Spirit, and they begin to influence a city, a region, a larger region, to the very ends of the earth. There's a macro plan to this discipleship model but there's also a micro plan. And what I mean by that, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, 
we see Paul. He's like the mentor. He's like the discipler of a guy named Timothy. In chapter two, verse two, he tells Timothy, Timothy, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, these things entrust to faithful or reliable people or reliable men who also be qualified to teach others. So there's this macro level, but it really takes place from one person to another person to another person. So it feels overwhelming to be thinking about Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Don't worry about that. Step one is to have someone who's building into you and to have someone that you're building into. On a micro level, we see this taking place. We see Jesus building into Paul. We see Paul building into Timothy. We see Timothy building into faithful men who are building men into others. So this is a process where you just sort of focus on one after another. Now, Jesus built into more than just Paul. Paul built into more than just Timothy. But over time, you see this start to multiply and multiply. So we even put more arrows up there. So by being faithful in the little things, by being faithful and being built into and building into another and building into another, God begins to change the entire world. This is how we reach a city. This is how we reach a neighborhood. This is how we change a state, is by disciples making more disciples. So it's simple and it's micro, but the micro leads to macro. His plan makes sense as long as we are faithful to do it. Points of application, points of application. Step one, if you are not sure if you've ever said yes to following Jesus, that's your first step. Nothing else matters until that step has been taken. I would suggest today, right now, Jesus is looking at you saying, follow me. If you've never said yes to that, first point of application, say yes to following Jesus. Pursue him, say yes to him, become his disciple. If you wanna know more about that, just go to our website, click on follow Jesus. When you click there, we have a video that talks about how to know him personally, how to follow him. We offer you a free devotional. Uh, we give you materials to read to make sure you know how to follow Jesus. So for some of you, that's step one. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, a disciple or follower of Jesus, your next step is to be ready to be transformed. Be ready to be transformed. And I encourage you to lean into the process. So it's so easy when we're talking about being transformed to dig our heels and to not want to be changed but I'm gonna encourage you to do the opposite. Don't waste your energy in trying to stay the same. Take your energy, take your best, take your resources and lean into this process of change that Jesus is inviting you to jump into that he will lead in and through your life. To embrace this transformation means that you will invite others into your life. Part of leaning into this transformation means you are going to have a Paul in your life, someone who can mentor you, build into you, push you. You're going to have a Timothy in your life, someone you can build into as well. Barnabas was a guy who was like a shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder relationship with Paul. They did some trips together. They did some missionary work together. It's good in your life to have a Paul and a Barnabas and a Timothy. Those types of relationships are super important for your transformation, for your spiritual growth, and that's how you're a disciple who makes more disciples. So my desire now is to give you an example, kind of a living example of what this looks like in someone's life. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk you through a little bit of my story and just, I'm gonna introduce you to some people who are in my life who impacted me 
that I had the opportunity to impact. I'm going to introduce you to some of my Pauls and my Barnabases and my Timothys. And everyone I invite you to, I just, that I introduce you to, I want you to know all of it is by his grace. It was done only in his power and it's completely for his glory. When I was in high school, there was a guy named Todd Biss. He led several Bible studies that I got to be in. He built into me. There was a guy named Tom Wilson. He was a couple years older than me, and Tom would drive me to all the Bible studies. So he always made sure that I was there. Uh, here's a picture of a group of friends from high school. I know you can't see their faces, but you don't know them anyways. Uh, Jen's right there. There's my wife. Um, but in this group, I was looking at it. 14 different kids made decisions for Christ in the couple years that I was there in high school. We had the opportunity to be built into and to build into them, and we saw lots of them come to know Christ. And many of them then shared the gospel with brothers, siblings, friends. The guy here in the front, his name's Toby. He was an exchange student from Germany. He came here from Germany, came to know Christ. He didn't have a Bible. He's never known somebody who's read a Bible before. He returned to Germany to be a disciple who makes disciples. So this was part of my high school experience, being built into and then building in to others. Here's another picture. In this picture, <laughs> good guy. So this is Matt Robinson. He was a guy that I got to get down on my knees with in the cabin and pray with him for him to receive Christ as his Lord and Savior. A little bit later, he led his brother Mitch to the Lord. Matt still walks with Jesus, and he's still in my hometown making disciples who make disciples. This is Matt Reed. Got to see him come to know Christ. Immediately gave him a devotional, helped him learn how to build his relationship with Jesus the day he became a Christian. He now pastors, and he's a pastor in Ohio, and he loves Jesus, and he's making disciples who make disciples. That's just part of this process. When I went to college, I had the opportunity to be built into by several different individuals and men. The first guy was a guy named J.R. J.R. gave me my first systematic theology book, and I really haven't stopped reading them since. I fell in love with theology because of J.R. J.R. is also a guy who started a prayer ministry throughout the state of Ohio with college students. He was a college student at that time. When I was a sophomore in college, he said, Mike, why don't you take this over because I'm not a college student anymore? So he challenged me to leadership, and he allowed me to lead literally thousands of people in prayer across the state to begin praying that God would show his face make himself known on college campuses. And through that, we saw hundreds of kids make decisions for Christ in college. There was a guy named Todd. Todd pushed me on my need to connect deeply with people. If you know a little bit about my story, by the time I got to college, I was done connecting with people. Todd pushed me to connect deeply with people, even though there could be pain involved. There was a guy named Mike Brown. Mike Brown taught me how to study the Bible verse by verse. We worked through book after book of the Bible together. There's a guy named Jim. I've got a picture of Jim. He was a guy from a different campus, uh, but he's a guy who challenged me to have a vision for my life. He taught me a ton about leadership. He taught me to go for it and to push myself. So Jim had a huge impact on my life when I was in college. So those men built into me in tons of different ways. I feel crazy blessed that God allowed those people to build into me. So then I got to build into some guys. So these are some of the guys in my Bible study. Here, we've got a picture of me, and these are the guys I got to build into. Adam came to know Christ in his dorm room. Phil was walking with Jesus when he came to college, and after this, he decided to become a missionary. These guys, after I left, they then led their own Bible studies with guys who then led their own Bible studies. So I got to build into them, and they built into others. 
my wife and I went to the same college, and those are the girls she built into. She's been making disciples who make disciples for decades. So I'm so thankful for this group. During the summer, in the next picture, I had a group that I got to build into in New Jersey. There was like 100 college students who would go to one house. We spent several months together, and we learned how to do evangelism and discipleship. This was the group I got to build into. So Jim, from the earlier picture, said, Mike, I want you to disciple all the students in the house. So I built into these guys. They built into their guys who built into those guys. So all the men and women in the home were being discipled over the course of a couple months. Then, at the end of the summer, they all went to their respective colleges, and all across the country, students came back ready to disciple other students who would disciple other students who would disciple other students. So thankful for that opportunity. Here's my wedding picture. So these are all my groomsmen. In this picture, I've got Barnabases. I've got guys who are my Pauls, and I've got guys who are Timothys in my life. So I love this picture. In my mind, this is a picture of God's incredible faithfulness in my life beyond anything that I deserve. After I got married, my wife and I went to Guadalajara, Mexico. Jen and I were in charge of this team of missionaries, and it was an interesting experience. We were called to build into them so they could then build into students. When we showed up, Kim thought that she had signed up for a year-long sightseeing trip. So when she got there and realized that it was actually ministry work, she cried for multiple days. Those were a hard couple days. But by the time we left, Kim stayed for five more years and continued to share the gospel on college campuses in Guadalajara, Mexico, seeing lives change, disciples becoming disciples, making more disciples. Suzanne went to seminary. Dan became a pastor. He's now a chaplain up in Michigan. God did amazing things in these people. And here are some of the students that came to know Christ as we spent time in Mexico. God's faithfulness just blew me away. But it's simple. Think micro. Someone was building into us, and we were building into others. That's all it is. And over time, God multiplies and multiplies and multiplies the number of people we get to influence. As a trainer, when I lived in Louisville, Kentucky, I had the opportunity to build into the lives of people in a very personal way. Jenna and I got to raise up a study of singles. We got to raise up a study of couples, and we send them into solid churches. Eventually, we started our own church, and we, would, we planted the church, and we grew it. We merged with another church and tried to grow that. And that's when I met Matt Friend, the pastor of this church, and I came here. Last year, and I love this, I got to lead a bunch of discipleship groups. Here are the individuals that are in those discipleship groups. Probably can't tell who they are from where you are, but these are some amazing people. We now have 35 people who are going to be starting discipleship groups next year. So it's starting to happen here in Charleston, West Virginia. People are being built into, who will build into others, who will build into others. How are we going to saturate a city with the gospel? This is the process that Jesus gave us. This is the method that he gave us. There's not a plan B. We are disciples who build into disciples who make more disciples. This is our process. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this near the end. And again, all of this, all of it, I need to say this again, was done by God's grace. There is no person in any of these pictures, including myself, with any special gifts or skills. It's by God's grace, in his power, and for his glory. But I want you to know, when I look at these pictures, all these pictures, it moves me. Like, it's powerful for me to see the things that God has been doing in my life and the things I know he can do in your life. When Paul was looking at some of the people he was discipling, he was looking at the Thessalonians, 
In chapter two of 1 Thessalonians, he starts saying, talks about how much he loves them and enjoys them and adores them. He says, I've been kind of like a spiritual parent to you. And at the end of that chapter, he says, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of Jesus our Lord when he comes? Is it not you? For you are our glory. You are our joy. So what Paul's doing here is he's picturing the moment when he's going to see Jesus face to face. And for me, theologically, my thought is, I'm just going to only focus on Jesus. But what Paul says here in that moment when we see him face to face, the discussion he's going to get into with Jesus, the thing that's going to bring him joy and excitement, are the people that he saw reached who made more disciples. This process of making disciples who make disciples is part of the joy and glory that we will experience throughout all of eternity. So when we see Jesus face to face, there will be joy in our heart, joy that is increased because we've got to be disciples who made more disciples. So what I want to suggest to you is don't miss out on that. If you're given the opportunity to be a disciple who makes disciples, go for it. There's eternal value in that. If your one thing is something other than being a disciple who makes disciples, you're missing out. I want to see Jesus face to face and be more excited than I can imagine because of the things he did in and through his disciples who make more disciples. I want that to be an amazing day. This contributes to that. I don't totally understand how, but this contributes to that moment when I see him face to face. So final point of application, be a disciple who makes more disciples. Let that be your one thing. Make Jesus's mission your mission. Make Jesus's one thing your one thing a very practical step to take. You can go to our website right now, and it's been updated, where we have a follow Jesus button. So if your next step is to follow Jesus, go to the website, click on that. Maybe you're in a position where you just don't have maybe that many spiritual friends. Mike, I don't know how to have a Paul in my life. I don't know any Pauls. Mike, I don't know how to have a Timothy or a Barnabas. I don't have many relationships with people that know Jesus. Click join a group. That's a great way for you, even as you're sitting at home right now, it's a great way for you to connect with some other people in this area, in this city, who know Jesus, who can build into you, and you'll meet people along the way that you can build into. The third button. I wasn't going to put this button on here, but I talked to a couple of our elders and key leaders, and they suggested that I should. The third button says, make disciples. If you're at a point where you know it's time to take being a disciple who makes disciples more seriously, and you're willing to commit yourself to that. Or you're willing to say, I'm willing to give up these things so that I can do that thing. I'm going to put down my old one thing and pick up my new one thing. If you're ready for that, click on that button. Click on that button to make disciples. And I'll give you the opportunity to sign up for potentially a discipleship group. What will happen is you can click on that button, fill out the form, and someone will meet with you and tell you what it means to be a part of a discipleship group, where you will learn how to study God's word. You'll learn how to share the gospel with people in your life that don't know him. And you'll learn how to make disciples who make disciples. And then you'll commit to being in the group for a year and then leading a group for a year. If, if that gets you excited, if you're sitting there and all of a sudden you have a smile on your face and you're not sure why, Maybe you're the one who's supposed to click that button. So that button's for you. So figure out your next step, and I encourage you to take it. So as you're thinking about that and considering that, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you that you would help us take that next step, that we would buy into his one thing. Jesus, we come before you as our Lord and our Savior. 
Jesus, you have spoken to us. You've told us to follow you. May we follow you. You've promised that you're going to make us into something different. Allow us to lean into the process of being transformed to be more like you in your character and in your ministry, which means, Jesus, when you say, become a disciple who makes disciples, that we take that seriously, that we give our lives, our energy, and our desires and passions to that one thing of being a disciple who makes disciples. Jesus, change us. Jesus, grow us. Jesus, send us on mission. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.